observation a couple of weeks ago that I wanted to mention and it was around the time we've been doing some giveaways lately on our Instagram yes and we're so fun I know (laughs) yes so just there's the plug right to follow us on Instagram that's not what I was meaning to do at all but you should um but the couple last couple of times that I have messaged the winner and asking for their mailing address to send them the prize, I've gotten such over the top excitement from them because yes. both of them have said I've never won anything. Oh, that's fun. And that I we just, get to be there first. Well, I just started thinking like, is that true of a lot of people? I don't know. I'm j- I just, it was something I was pondering lately going, are there a lot of people out there that, have never won anything. I don't well, know. What do you think? I've heard that before when people, I've heard people say that before. Yeah. I've won, I've never won anything life changing in the sense of like a car or a trip yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, I've won a dinner here or a $20 yeah. gift card there kind of thing. Yeah. So I certainly couldn't be one that says I've never won anything. Yeah. Um, man, I would love to, um, you know, be able to continue to give prizes to people that change that. Well, I was going to say, I hope that continues it's not like to you, be you responses. randomly pick, right? But yeah. that's fun that that's yeah changing the changing. I, I the won Wheel of Fortune, so I've gone such to an extreme of winning. <laughs> that's that, so true. I mean, I do absolutely still appreciate a free meal, and you know, just I still coupon, and I still you know, yes, go in for a. But not when many people can offer. say they've been to Hawaii and Switzerland on Wheel of Fortune's tab. Yeah. Well, but, you did pay the taxes, but other than that. But yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I just was curious about like, wonder how many people out there could easily say, I've never won anything. So anyway, if you haven't, start entering our contest. Seriously. We get some fun stuff. Because we're on a streak of first time winners. <laughs> So anyway, well, we have a fun topic today, um, mainly because, wow, what an eye opener this topic was. I'd never even heard of this group till you mentioned doing an episode on this. So we're going to talk today about a group of artists called the Florida Highwaymen. Yes. And um, I just thought this would be a fun topic. We try to go all over the place, all yep. over the South, all over different directions. Mm-hmm. I know our listeners love when we talk about food, but we can't always talk <laughs> about food true. or we'd have to, you know, be a food podcast. Right. <laughs> so we're going to go art today. But how do you remember, how did you even come up with this as being an idea? Like, how did you find out about the Florida so, Highwaymen. Great question. And I actually don't remember the answer to that. Now okay. I keep in my notes of my phone, a running list of topic ideas yes. and it is long y'all. Yes. We are not <laughs> short of ideas of subjects, <laughs> but, um, 
you know, I just like to go in lots of directions. Yeah. And I read a little snippet about this. It didn't go in great detail. Okay. But I was intrigued. It piqued your interest. Yeah. Enough. And I am an art lover. Yes, you so are. So I wanted to know more about this. Now, this particular style is not a style that's my favorite that mm -hmm. I would want to hang in my home. Mm -hmm. But it's still beautiful art. Right. And it's fun subject matter because it's tells history I think you know art often shares snippets of history it does and this it really well. does yeah preserves it well too because words can't be switched out that's and true. you know it's like very true it is what it is it's that's you true. Know, like there's no changing it so well first I want to say that this name Florida Highwaymen they weren't called this until the mid 90s so we'll get to that yeah how the name came about yeah but they were a thing. They were a it group. Was a thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they go. This started back in the late 1950s, right? Yes. Okay. I don't even know. Late. I don't know when in the 50s. I just know it was in the 50s. Okay. They were self-taught African American artists, right? There was a there. There ended up being what they've named 26 of them. Okay. But there was kind of a um, core more core beginning group okay um that i think was made up of only about six okay maybe i think there was eight. six yeah yeah um only one woman in this 26 the lone ranger so there was a florida highway woman <laughs> <laughs> as well but i'm just so um, intrigued by this so do you want me just to kind of dive in yeah so um I wanted to make sure and say that kind of what I read as the beginning, mm -hmm. and I love that it was a teacher that recognized a student's gifting. So Zenobia Jefferson was Alfred Hare's high school teacher. Mm -hmm. She recognized his talent in painting and suggested that he seek out a man uh, with the last name Bacchus. Yes. He, who was a famous artist and he was white. He was white. He was yeah. landscape painter. Um, so anyhow, he kind of looks him up and so did Harold Newton, who was also another one of the mm -hmm. beginning Florida highwaymen. Mm -hmm. So these two kind of seek this man out, Bacchus, and go and meet with him. And he kind of became a mentor, particularly to Alfred Hare. Right. I think several of these guys end up kind of watching how Bacchus paints, but he was truly a mentor to this um, Alfred Hare. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, um, he kind of took him under his wing, showed him some things about landscape painting. Now, one thing I found fascinating was, now keep in mind, y'all, this is in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Bacchus, when he would sell a painting, we're talking... Maybe it was sell for two fifty three hundred dollars. Wow. Okay, and it takes him, you know, days sure to paint sure. So Alfred Hare is watching this, going, "Okay, what if I could do them faster mm. and cheaper? Mm -hmm. So if I'm faster and cheaper, mm -hmm. I can still make two fifty three hundred dollars, right? Just not for one. I'm gonna yes. have to have maybe." Yes. Yeah. Painting. Yeah. So his his brain's thinking like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now also keep in mind this is in the South. This mm -hmm. is in the fifties. Mm -hmm. A black artist sadly is not going to be able to be in an art gallery. Yeah. Yeah. So so sad. And this is also at a time I would say that a lot of the black population were not 
artists. They were on citrus farms. Apparently that was the thing. You know, these people are from an area called Fort Pierce. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, that's what their their jobs were. Yeah. Was working the citrus groves. They were immersed in, um, fighting for civil rights. They were. Yeah. So he's kind of thinking, wow, I'd really like to make a living doing art, but I can't be in art galleries. And I don't know how I would even sell this to, and most of the people that had the extra money to buy art were white. white. Yeah. So he's kind of thinking through how to do this. And Fort Pierce is on the East coast of Florida, about halfway down the state. Um, so just to give you kind of some perspective, because I'd never even heard of Fort Pierce before this either. So, well, they decide we're going to do this cheaper and faster and we're going to sell a bunch of paintings. So this is kind of how it was birthed. Yeah. And, um, one of the things that they were known for doing this group was they would spread out their works of art, which mm-hmm. let's go ahead and talk about what they painted on yeah, and yeah. how they did oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think this is interesting yeah. to maximize their profits. Yeah. They painted on Upson board, Just which is like, like a plywood, like a roofing of, thing. Yeah. I think it's like a roofing. Yeah. Um, a build, definitely board. just used for building at the time, building materials. <laughs> so they're going to use that instead of canvas. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of these framing, um, pieces were like to, to true framing was pretty expensive. Sure, still So is. they figured let's just make it out of molding. Mm-hmm. We can make them out of molding. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they did. Yeah. They would make these to be their, yep. um, that was medium. how they framed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. their medium. And they're going to paint. They did mostly use oil paint. It was rumored yeah. that they even used house paint. I think that was pretty minimal from okay. some things I was reading. Um, it was mostly oil paint. And sometimes they even painted out onto the frame. I think there was a couple of them that, like, if they were painting a landscape, it even went out onto the frame. That's kind of fun. So kind of yeah. different, something yeah. you don't usually see. Yeah. Um, and I had read sometimes they were painting them so fast, like they weren't even dry. They weren't even dry yet. So they had, they would get messed up. That's right. Or sometimes it would have like their fingerprint Uh in the paint. Uh So funny because you would never see that on a Rembrandt or something. Oh my word. So, and I want to get to something about that. There was a man named Al Black that I want to talk about later. Okay. And I'll try to remember to tell a piece of that with the wet paint. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they would also shellac these and, you know, just have them pretty close to done and sell them out of their cars. This is what I think is so wild. They would go. Because they couldn't get in the galleries. Because they couldn't be in a gallery. So what are we going to do? Pile up the trunk and go sell them. Yeah. And so they would intentionally go to places like office buildings that needed art, even motels, stuff like that. Very entrepreneurial, for sure. entrepreneurial. And even tourists loved them because these are landscapes of Florida. Yeah. It's like an oversized postcard. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to get into kind of what the paintings were of in a minute. But that's, that's in a nutshell what their um, medium was. And then did we say yet what they were selling them for? No. So... Typically, they these paintings at that time were selling for twenty five to thirty five dollars. Yeah. So there again, Mr. Hare was kind of smart. If I can yep. sell ten, 
for $25 yeah. or $35, I'm making as much as Bacchus for his one. Yeah. That's taking days right. to paint. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so fascinating. And one other thing I'll say about technique, because uh, I kind of started this, they, some of them would spread out. Let's see. They had, let's say they had six of those mm-hmm. Epson boards out. They do all the skies at it, one time. It's like mass manufacturing. It's kind totally, of absolutely assembly line yeah. thing happening. Then yeah. we're going to do all of the grass or yeah. whatever. So, you know, they get their paint colors they want. Yeah. And every single one of them's different. Right. There's not like we're painting the exact same thing six no, but times, but they're all going to the... have a sky. Yeah. Most of them have water feature. You know, we're right. all going to do the water. So I just think that's so wild. They were, they were just thinking, how can we maximize the profit? That's so smart. Okay, so let's just start a, sorry for the pun, paint the picture of what were they painting, right? So yeah. what were, what was their go-to sort of themes? Well, so they were in Florida where there's much beautiful landscape. So most of the time these were beaches, marshes, water birds, palm trees. Um, I have in my head exactly without even needing to see these, what these They're are. Cause I blown. feel like people have copied this today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And they may have copied even things, you know, somewhat that they had seen. Like if you've ever been to a Caribbean country, <laughs> totally you have seen this. This looks totally Caribbean. Yeah. I've, We've both been to Haiti. Yeah. You see paintings like yeah. this all over but Haiti. But I saw it all over the Bahamas and the Dominican Republic. True. So. And you know another thing you see in coastal areas. In fact, we even talked about this in our in our um, when we did our episodes on architecture. Yeah, is you see more bright color. Yes. So these paintings often included a lot of bright color. Yeah. Um, but they painted from memory. They were never looking at photographs of that's cool. these scenes. That's cool. And that is really cool. And a lot of times they would even include sunsets. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the sunsets I noticed were like incredibly vibrant with bright paint. Right. And so this is kind of their memory of it. Just like, you know, I get frustrated when there's a gorgeous sunset and I take a photograph and I'm like, not at all what this looks like. No justice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You want a paintbrush to Mm -hmm. show that it's how bright it is. Yeah. These are like over the top. Yeah. When they're doing sunsets, very orange I or love very it. pink. Yeah. But one of the reasons that these are so um, beloved now is because of all the concrete that's now in Florida and oh. well, everywhere where there's been development. So, so none of it looks like this anymore. A lot of it doesn't yeah. look like it did Yeah, then. And so people just love these because it's even a memory of what was. Well, that's funny because... That that resonates with me because when I see old images of Nashville, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I remember That's when it looked what like I that. Yeah, not this many and condos. I definitely resonate <laughs> with yeah, wanting yeah. to see images of what what was of your childhood or mm-hmm. your teen years and that kind of thing. So I love that, and um, it also really shows a lot of Florida's diverse ecology. It's very varied. In different parts. That is and so they have true. some of the Everglades in there. Yeah. And just different things like that. Yeah. So, and a lot of that looks different now. Yeah. So, that's one of the re- one of the many reasons these are in high demand now. <laughs> yeah. So, we've, we've touched on the fact that they were producing these, like, 
really fast speeds. Did you read like how many have been produced, right? So, of course, it's kind of just a guesstimation. Right. Yeah. Um, like nobody was tracking the inventory. So this is sales. an interesting thing. One of the things I was reading was, so this went from the mid fifties through, it started to die down in 1970. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Okay. But, um, there, it's an estimated 200,000 works out of the 26 total people in just like two decades, let's say two and a half, yeah. 25 years. So, and the interesting thing was when these were first purchased, my my eyes are like really big (laughs) right now. That is so many. When these were first purchased, people were excited to have them, hanging them in their business office, hanging Mm -hmm. them in their home. Um, But then once the kind of 80s, 90s came around, they kind of didn't fit with style and they started going to donation into people's attics. Okay kind of put away for the new yeah they didn't fit that mtv kind of vibe that was moving in (laughs) of all the neons and yeah so it's interesting because who knows how many there are and i was thinking this is the kind of thing you might actually find at a goodwill many of them aren't signed some of them are yeah but some of them aren't so Keep your eyes open. You may want to look what these look like. I mean, 200,000, they're open. out there. That's right. Yeah. Nobody's hoarding these. That's right. I wouldn't think. So, yeah. That's so interesting. One of the things that I found in researching this topic is there's a man by the name of Gary Monroe. Yes. Who's done several, I guess I would call them coffee table books. Yeah. About this subject with choosing specific artists to highlight. Yeah. So we have to mention Alfred Hare yeah. a little more in depth because he's kind of the one who got this going. He's the one who was mentored by Bacchus. Yes. And kind of um, the founder, right? Yeah. I would yeah. call him probably the founder of this whole thing. Um, so there's a, one of the books that he does is specifically on his life. So if you find this interesting, you may want to check out this man's Yeah, I can link, books. link to the books in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so this guy, um, was actually shot and killed at the age of 29. That happened in 1970. Yes. Yeah. So very short life, um, but lived it to the full in that time. Mm -hmm. And that's why in 1970, when he died, he was kind of the one who was getting everybody organized. Yeah. And without him, it kind of started to fall apart. Yeah. Different people continued painting, right. kind of doing their own thing. But when you've got somebody that's passionate, that is... And he's the one who the gathered. One, yeah. Kind of keeping them energized to, to sell in the way they were selling. And yeah, that's... So I didn't realize that he'd been shot and killed. I saw that he died so young. And I it was, was like, in like mm-hmm. a, a juke joint. Wow. Um, where he died. And um, so, yeah, that kind of was the fall apart wow. of the collective yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but his works are, you know, the er- from the early Highwayman days. And um, he's definitely considered one of the renowned ones. Um, and it was his idea in doing this fast thing. That was all yeah. him yeah. trying to get that all going. So Alfred Hare... Um, and then I also want to mention um, a man by the name of Harold Newton. Yes. So he's the other one I said did 
they both at least meet Bacchus and kind of, I don't know how much mentoring he actually got, but he, he at least learned some things from him. Um, and again, whole book on him that Gary Monroe gives him homage, but, um, he apparently, uh, really has some of the more beautiful paintings. So Newton was kind of, known for doing more of a romantic imagery and and an identity of modern Florida. Yeah, okay. And I thought this was funny. One of the things that um, Gary Monroe says in his book about Harold Newton is that he was an an enigmatic figure. He lived an artist's life, aloof and prolific while painting, and gregarious and expansive when socializing. Mm. And just in no... like watching movies about artists yes. and stuff like that. I thought there really is something to that where yeah. they just are. So sometimes these huge personalities. Yeah. Yeah. When they're socializing yes. and that kind of thing. Um, so there are more of Newton's paintings that remain today than any of the other highwaymen. Okay. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And they're kind of showered all over the state. Like apparently he really oh, so he like, got, he got, got out <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Um, and he's really considered like a central to to understanding this style of landscape. You got to look at his works. Okay. Um, so. Well, and he had probably maybe more years to put into it than. Very well, true. Well, I guess it really did sort of. That's true. Fizzle out after Hare's death. But well, but in terms they, of a collective. Of a collective. But he probably went more. on and painted more. So that would be why there would be yeah. more of his works. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. And I did think it was interesting that many of these don't have any name to them i think that they uh someone who's studied this art may be able to point more to one person or the other but anyhow yeah that was interesting that many of them weren't signed well and newton is responsible for being the one that taught mary ann carroll the only (gasps) female in the group okay now she was she started drawing as a young girl okay so she already had interest in some skill but I had read that um, she'd been drawing when she was a little girl, and then she met Newton, and he had some flames painted on the side of, of his car. His car, yes. And he, she asked him about the okay. flames, and he said he painted them himself, and he had one of his paintings in the back of his car. My goodness! And she was so interested. You know, he told her he did it, and she said, "Can you teach me how to paint like that?" And so, um, so that's how she got folded. Into the group and was taught by. That's very cool. Yes. About his car. I had read it had sunsets and all kinds of flames, all kinds of things painted on it. And at one point it was repossessed. Oh my gosh. And I thought, what are you going to do with a car like that? (laughs) Like, that's hilarious. That would be a photograph to capture. (laughs) For real. So Mary Ann Carroll, we have to talk about, I mean, this steel magnolia, right? Um, excuse me. She sold her first painting at 18. Wow. Which is remarkable for any young artist, but particularly for a black woman in the South. Yeah. Come on. So good. So Mary Ann Carroll, um, I, I'm just going to read this quote from Gary Monroe because I thought it was so good. Okay. So he said, um, if the highwaymen faced discrimination at every door they knocked on, then the challenges and dangers were magnified for Carol. I mean, oh can my you gosh, imagine? Yes. 
She took pride in always having her pristine Buick gassed and ready to go and her small handgun cleaned and ready to use. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. She was a pistol. No pun intended. Or pun intended. intended. So she passed away last year. I was thinking, gosh, wouldn't that have been a fun person to have on the podcast? For real. Would love to hear her stories. Yes. Um, So, man, if you can get your hands on a Mary Ann Carroll painting, that would be something to to treasure. Absolutely. I did read a quote from Mary Ann Carroll. She said, I found there was as many sweet people out there as there was bitter. I just thank God basically for the sweet ones because everyone that bought a painting put bread on my table, kept shelter over my head, and in the midst of raising seven children as a single parent, they have been mama and daddy too for me. I am just more than grateful. Wow. I know. Seven kids. Seven kids and she could make a living painting as a woman, a black woman in the South. That's so good. So, you know, thank you, it's, it's Lord, pers- for the good ones. It's and all the sweet perspective. Ones. Yeah. But it, it's wonderful to hear her say in that time and era that there yeah. was as many sweet people as bitter. That's right. Good. So, you got to keep your eyes on the good ones. I know. Look for the gold. Um, well, let's talk about Al Black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he would have been a real character. I know. Too. <laughs> I do too. Um, so, he was born in 1946. I think most of these people were around that. Around that age. Yeah. Um, But he emerged as the salesman par excellence. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he was as great of a painter as he was a salesman. Yeah. Well, that's true in anything. You know, like the creatives aren't always the great businessmen. So true. So That is so true. Well, he actually found a way for him, he would make commission. (laughs) Good. And because he wasn't a great painter, he at least learned how to repair the paintings when they were putting the when, trunk still wet and they got messed and up. they got messed up. He could at least kind of do enough <laughs> to do touch up. I thought that was so funny. He probably had some bird signature bird. He knew to put on a blotch <laughs> of paint right. or something. That's yeah. right. Um, so anyhow, uh, he, that was kind of his thing in the highwayman story was that he was the good salesman. Unfortunately, Black struggled with drugs and eventually went to prison. Mm. So, um, sad part of his story, but here's a cool little side story. There was a warden at the, at the prison where he was that read a story in the St. Petersburg times by columnist Jeff Klinkenberg about the highwayman. And he kind of put it together that Al Black was inmate black that he had in his prison. Okay. Wow. (laughs) So he talks to him and not just talks to him, encourages him with permission to paint murals all over the prison. No way. Oh, wow. And they're apparently really beautiful um, scenes that were really encouraging to the inmates. How amazing. How amazing. He painted over a hundred mural or at least a hundred murals for the department of corrections. Wow. That's so, funny to think about in terms of today, since murals seems to have made a resurgence seriously in cities where people, yes, paint them. Mm-hmm. Is that not so cool? Wow. So anyhow, again, Gary Monroe has a book called the highwayman murals. And it's the only record of these images that are available to the public. 
Wow. So the only way you'll see them, unless for some reason you were able to get into one of those prisons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you want to see them, but you don't. (laughs) That's how you want to see them is in this book. Yeah. So anyway, that was fascinating to me. And it also really got me thinking of just the power of art. Yeah. And I wish that we could get that more in the prisons. Mm -hmm. They're people in there. Some of them even wrongly accused. So that would be amazing if there could be some kind of wave of encouraging art Mm -hmm. that was done Mm -hmm. even in some of these prison ministries. I don't know if it would be allowed, but yeah, that's where my mind went. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. He certainly was a salesman. I heard uh, it said that if he had 30 paintings that he was given in a day, he would sell 30 paintings in a day. And he was uh, oftentimes driving around in a blue and white Ford galaxy. Okay. And, um, as I know you already mentioned that he would fix the I the just paintings. thought that was fun. That... But Marianne Carroll was quoted as telling NPR in a, a interview she did that the only paintings Black didn't sell was the ones you didn't give him. Oh, my gosh. So he was a good salesman. <laughs> yeah. He probably knew all the right places to take his yeah. galaxy to sell yeah. them. That's awesome. And, you know, entrepreneurial they were. And so, as we mentioned early on, they were not coined as the highwaymen until later in much later past their uh 1995 is what i found yeah so jim fitch was a white florida gallery owner and he is recognized for coining the name based on their sales method which we've described here they're traveling up and down the highway to find buyers and their use of that being their means to connect with customers they were highwaymen that's right and woman (laughs) that's right (laughs) So yeah, we really have to to give Jim Fitch the credit to for the actual name. about the name. Yeah. yeah, it's so fitting. And he also said um, somewhere I've heard it said that one sure road to success is to find a need and fill it. These black artists did just that. Whether we are willing to accept their work as art or not is an argument I won't make. I do know that by painting for the marketplace, they inadvertently created an awareness of and appreciation for Florida regional art, and they deserve recognition for that contribution. That's awesome. They do. That's what we're wanting to do today. Is That's to right. Recognize Give them, them recognition for what they did. And yeah. I think if you're um, wanting to, if you look at those paintings, it will instill like just sweet feelings because it's palm trees and water oh, and sure. birds and marshes. It's lovely. So where can people see? I mean, we've, we're going to link to some books, but yeah. if you want to actually go see it, can you see them? There are places you can see okay. them today. So they're regularly exhibited at the A.E. Bacchus Museum in Fort Pierce. Okay. Also the Museum of Florida History in Tallahassee. Okay. Um, and they have 18 paintings by various highwaymen. Um, including Hare, Newton, Gibson, and Carroll. And there is a collection at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Wow. So that's, what was that, three places you can Mm -hmm. see them today. Cool. And I'm keeping my eye out for them in places just in case. I mean, obviously you're more likely to find them if you're in Florida, but there's got to be that they've spread. Yeah. Throughout, I tried to look some up online, like eBay and different things like that. Um, and I found some, but once I clicked on it, they were already sold. 
But we're talking at this point, 3,500, wow. that kind of thing. Wow. So it's kind of fun to see that there's at least now a recognition. Wow. Well, I loved that I heard somebody mention or kind of categorize this as it was their version of the American dream with a tropical twist. Oh, that's perfect. You know? I love that. Yeah. So anyway, well, that was good. Good highlight. Totally some- different culture kind of fun topic getting us all cultured that's right that's right we want to talk about lots of parts of the southern culture not just a few (laughs) and if anybody has one oh my gosh or access to one post it tag us so we can see it love to see if anybody has a piece of this work in their home or in their own studio or office so Thanks, y'all. That was fun. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Steel Magnolias podcast. We hope you guys have a great week. Peace be with you. And also with y'all.